This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. I think 10 years from now, we will be in a, in a new phase where we have uh, recovered from the, you know, the pandemic hit. Uh, so travel will function uh, as normal again uh, and travel will be back to most likely 2019 levels, uh, perhaps even higher. But we will be at a point where we are starting to restrict travel volumes uh, for sustainability reasons. So um, I don't think we will have unlimited, uh, very cheap travel in 2031, which of course will accelerate the airlines move to greener technology, to more environmental friendly kind of engine technology and uh, to higher use of sustainable aviation fuel known as SAF. Johnny Thorson is a global travel technology evangelist in the corporate travel and mobile world. His work includes travel tech companies in Silicon Valley as well as startups and large corporations all over the globe. But the reason I wanted to talk to Johnny on today's episode is because of his vision for something called a Traveltopia. And most interestingly, that vision was put into question because of the pandemic. My name is Arvind Yuvraj and this is Futurescapes, an audio time capsule that's not just a prediction of the world to come, but a record of the times that we are in now, with concepts and technologies that could, one day, change everything. Uh, Inside the airports, we will see significant changes because as passenger volumes start growing beyond 2019 levels, we we are going to be back at the uh, overload problem. Uh, in 2019, a number of airports around the world were, were basically maxed out. COVID have kind of given us a number of new technologies, which by 2031 have, will have been refined. So we can speed uh, a certain portion of the travelers through the airport much faster, spending less time queuing, less time in security, uh, effectively kind of arriving as late as possible to spend as little time as possible in the airport, uh, whereas another part of travelers will continue with, with kind of the old inefficient way of, of getting in and out of the airport. Uh, I think that's, that's the high-level picture in, in my view. So you mentioned two very interesting things. You said that it won't be as as free and easy as it used to be in 2018, 2019. It's because of sustainability that travel cannot be as flexible anymore. And you're saying it'll get more expensive. Am I right? You know, normally, if you want to limit something, then you you put a maximum amount of, you know, what's available. And that typically drives up price if demand is higher than capacity. So... If you think about a situation where we have more people who want to fly somewhere than, than there are daily seats kind of allowed, then the airlines will be able to increase price. Uh, that's normal supply and demand. But the other very interesting development that kind of happened just before COVID hit, uh, over in Europe, uh, the first countries started discussing at the political level whether to basically ban low-cost travel. 
Uh, and by that, uh, they were talking about saying that, you know, an airline ticket cannot cost less than, say, 49 euros. You can no longer fly people one way for nine euros or 19 euros. Uh, there has to be a minimum price, which uh, at least, you know, supports offsetting and making sure you are sustainability neutral. Mm-hmm. So I think we will see some some new models emerge that will accelerate the, the move towards sustainable travel. And I'm guessing in a way that's going to encourage uh, local tourism and domestic travel a lot more. Because I, I remember before AirAsia popped up for us, uh, we didn't have cheap travel. So our, our, our airline tickets were very expensive. And local tourism was the big thing before economical flights showed up. That is very true. Um, and if we look around the world now, we have kind of real low-cost airlines operating in more or less all markets, except for kind of U.S., where, uh, you know, the concept of real uh, large, low-cost airlines have not yet kicked in. Southwest is uh, kind of more of a medium-cost airline. They do once in a while have, you know, some dirt cheap uh, sales, but uh, they're not a, a high-volume, uh, ultra-low-cost airline. And and this is, this is an interesting dilemma. These low-cost airlines are incredibly good at operating very efficiently. So is it fair that they get penalized uh, because the industry as a whole needs to become more sustainable? Uh, it, it's a really tough question. Politicians will have some, um, some tough decisions around this. Uh, another way can be to start telling airlines worldwide that um, you, know, you must allocate 1% or 2% of your revenue to uh, acceleration of uh, green engine technology. So now all airlines are hit equally hard based on revenue. So it doesn't matter if you're big or small. Uh, and that funding can be used to move much faster forward with new engine technology. What aspects of travel are going to be permanently changed because of the pandemic, you think? Like, we know some things will bounce back. Um, but what are some things that are never coming back, no matter what? Hmm. So um, the the idea of uh, of a lot of small kind of two, three-day trips... Uh, I think will uh, for at least a certain part be replaced by longer trips where uh, you want to get more out of the trip, either because um, it becomes a hassle to travel and therefore you know you don't want to spend too much time uh, wasted in uh, the airport getting in and out. So once you're at a location, you, you want to stay there. Uh, we have probably seen a, a relatively long-term shift from large city kind of metro holidays to uh, going to smaller, more regional places. Uh, That seems to be a a big trend right now uh, around the world. Obviously, it's partly because we cannot go internationally to other big metros. But uh, I just think a lot of people have realized that that there are a lot of great places to go to that, that are not in a big city. So, that's a great outcome if we can spread tourism and travel out more. Another thing that, that I do think will potentially, I don't think will disappear completely, but it'll be reduced significantly. That's the traditional one-day business trip where somebody goes somewhere for a one-day trip. I really think that number will drop dramatically. And I'm just looking at myself and you know people I know who did heavy business travel before, uh, all of us are basically saying that uh, you know I, I don't want to do a one-day trip anymore. There's so much time waste. 
I'm absolutely happy doing a virtual meeting. And if the other part don't want to do that, then I probably will find somebody else to meet with virtually. Uh, I'm not going to spend time, energy, money and uh, pollution uh, on a one day trip for one meeting somewhere. Speaking of which, um, countries have a pandemic response strategy built into their legislation and and their laws, right? We all do. Do industries like travel have such things built into their long-term strategies as well? Um, You know, like, was a pandemic something that anyone in the travel space thought would happen in the 21st century? I I honestly don't think so. Um, I think airlines and and also the hotels and and the travel agencies, they had gotten used to... uh, significant so-called disruption events uh, and you know uh, the one that that stands out that everybody remembers is uh, when the Icelandic uh, volcano exploded in 2010 uh, it impacted air travel almost worldwide because planes could not uh, move across the Atlantic they got stuck uh, in, dif- in you know the wrong places and it caused significant disruption for uh, you know a period of two to three weeks uh, we've had big winter storms. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, big airlines going on strike. Uh, but in in general, these have been short-term uh, kind of uh, relatively uh, local or regional events. Uh, what, what COVID did, it literally shut down the entire industry for a period of multiple months. And I don't think anyone in the travel industry had prepared for such a disruption scenario. Right. But do you think by 2031, COVID is uh, is a distant memory by then? Because part of me wants to think that it'll be a thing of the past. But realistically and logically, um, the industry is always going to brace for crisis now because of COVID, right? There's always going to be a sense of, uh, you know, like mild PTSD sort of. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that is very true. Um, everyone that's involved in the travel industry, uh, you know, whether it's on the financing, uh, shareholders, uh, investment, front all the uh, the suppliers airlines hotels car vendors um, and and all the middlemen uh, the the travel agencies uh, the corporate travel agencies uh, the online travel agencies all these players i think will over the next few years adjust their their operating model so they can scale up or down much faster and much more efficiently because what hurt the entire industry was this massive fixed cost base that the companies could not uh, reduce. So we're already seeing a clear sign that uh, that the big players are migrating to cloud-based technology infrastructure. That normally means that they can scale up or down much, much faster than traditional uh, so-called on-premise solutions that, uh, that run with the same number of servers no matter what. Uh, and if you can start scaling your technology platform up or down, then you can also start becoming more efficient and reduce the amount of, of manual work, i.e. human labor, that is required in the industry. Because I think that's another big, big learning COVID showed us. Uh, despite all our progress in online booking and relatively smart uh, mobile apps, when it really happened, uh, Airlines had to go back to manual workflow to provide cancel and refunds of these million of tickets that had to be processed. And in some cases, it took up to a year for airlines to clearly backlog. Uh, So I think that's something that will not happen again. Uh, Companies will have technology in place 
for automation of all these manual procedures. So that's one of the great examples of of a good thing that will come out of COVID. Um, so on the flip side of that, uh, I think once borders open and we are relatively safe, uh, travel is going to bounce back stronger than ever because we're never going to take vacations or travel time for granted again, right? Am I wrong to think that? Is it more uh, complicated or more complex than that? No, I, I do think um, eventually travel will bounce back stronger uh, in, in terms of volumes. But there's a problem under that surface. Uh, if you think about how you know the composition of, of air passengers and hotel guests uh, was before, um, it, it's widely kind of assumed in the, in the pre-COVID world that about one-third of uh, passengers or guests were so-called corporate travelers. And corporate travelers, on average, uh, deliver more yield, more income for the supplier. So they were, in a way, funding the uh, the very low-cost travel for, for the rest of the travel population. If corporate travel suddenly uh, is reduced by, uh, let's say, 30%, uh, that's a 30% impact on uh, net income for, for the suppliers. Either they have to increase price for the rest of the uh, passenger volume, or they have to improve automation and uh, internal efficiency, which will, of course, hurt uh, the number of jobs uh, that are in place. So there will be some uh, significant impacts from the reduction in corporate travel. And and this is not just a sustainability play. People who think that are, are very wrong. Uh, for me, uh, as an example, my personal decision not to do one-day travel is, is primarily around I just don't want to spend so much time uh, on going uh, one place for one meeting. Uh, I can do that much more efficiently online. Uh, and even if I'm in a in a kind of larger meeting with, say, 50 to 100 people, there's new virtual meeting technology that actually is so incredible, efficient, and socially engaging that I almost feel I can get more out of that virtual meeting than I could if I went to a traditional physical meeting, spending again time, energy, money, and uh, you know environmental resources on doing that. I think a lot of people will be much more selective in when they decide to travel. So therefore, the value of the de- destination, uh, the purpose of the meeting or the trip will become higher before people decide to go somewhere. I, I was also thinking about, um, you know, like Airbnbs and sort of utilizing the gig economy. And, I, and I'm wondering whether hotels will make a bounce back uh, once we're safe to travel, because we've been like locked inside our houses for so long that will travelers want to go live or, or stay in another house looking a place for lodging, you know, when they travel, or would they want to go fancy and, and go back to hotels? Because hotels were taking a dip before the pandemic, right? And people were opting to stay in Airbnbs and, you know, sort of like crowdsourcing and stuff. What, what do you what do you think about that? Again, I think this is where the purpose of the trip will probably have a much bigger impact on on where you want to stay. Um, so if I go on a on a business trip to say Singapore, uh, hopefully uh, later this year, um, well then. I would probably stay in a hotel uh, because I will be there kind of to to have three or four days of, you know, focused business. And I just want to have uh, efficient services around me. But uh, if I'm going somewhere with uh, three or four colleagues and we want to have some quality time to be creative together, then I think it's much more likely we would be doing an, uh, an Airbnb or a VRBO or a similar, uh, you know, gig economy type accommodation. 
And even if I'm meeting with a, a trusted customer or supplier, we might now decide to go somewhere instead of uh, in the offices of one of the two companies. We could meet up elsewhere and have a more creative, uh, more intimate social time together uh, and actually get much more out of being together. And and finally, uh, I know here in the US it's already happening. Uh, I have not heard of examples in Europe or and Asia yet, but some of the, the new tech companies are effectively creating uh, what is called corporate retreats. So they will have permanent locations in you know places like Montana, Wyoming, uh, where there's great nature and, and getaway, where they will have company-operated facilities that their employees can go to. So we're seeing these new mindsets evolving. The other big challenge is the work from anywhere kind of revolution that's coming. Uh, so companies will allow people to go somewhere else for say one, two or three months and work from there. And now what if you want to get together in, in that location and it's not a traditional corporate location? Do you want to have a hotel for that that perhaps is not even business friendly? Then you probably rather have, a, again, a shared accommodation set up. So we will see these kind of alternative accommodation models evolve to become more business focused or, you know, multi-generation group trips where you have two or three family generations going on a big trip together. Do you think people are going to judge countries based on their COVID response? Because like, you know, will we pick places depending on how they handle the pandemic and how they curbed COVID-19? Is that going to factor into people's uh, decision-making when they want to visit a certain country? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. This, th- these are the, you know, the underlying emotional uh, elements that have nothing to do with, with price or airline schedule or, you know, something else. Uh, that's where you are literally nervous of going because things might go wrong again there. That also leads to um, something I'm kind of uh, thinking a lot about these days, which is what I call the emotional travel profile. Historically, uh, the travel industry has been very good at profiling people, you know, based on uh, what airline you like to fly with, uh, what hotel you like to stay in, uh, what cabin class, uh, what seat, window aisle, etc. But when you think about it, those are things that happen in a small period of time during, say, a, a four-day trip. We have very little structured information about your behavior once you arrive somewhere. Uh, and I think that's an area we're going to see significant innovation in uh, understanding the behavior of the traveler uh, during the trip. Because it's funny, right? We spend five, 10 minutes booking our trip, and then we spend two, three, four, five days traveling. Uh, and all the technology is focused on the booking process. Very little is aimed at the doing trip experience. So I really think that's an area where we will see massive innovation over the, the coming years. away from all this pandemic stuff for a while um, I, I always like to ask questions about AI and machine learning because they honestly they fascinate me how will they impact travel so this is where um, as I said the the personalization the ability to understand each individual traveler's preference and uh, and you know behavior uh, patterns uh, will be driven by AI and machine learning 
if if you think about yourself, uh, Arvin, I you know I don't know how much you have traveled, say the last five years, but I'm guessing probably five to ten times a year or more without knowing your travel pattern. Um, so right now, those booking data are sitting there in in a number of legacy systems, but um, they have not really been used as a consolidated picture of you as a traveler. But um, as we go forward, um, I think the user interface for when we book travel will change a lot. For instance, uh, if I look for travel, I would expect uh, my the platform I look at, I would expect it to know that I always fly out of San Francisco airport between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Uh, that's my pattern 99% of my trips. So therefore, don't show me a 6 a.m. flight or a 4 p.m. flight. I'm not going to take it. There's no indication that I will even look at it. So therefore, don't bother to show it to me. I only want to see what's relevant and likely for me to use. That's something I really look forward to, the travel industry finally getting right. The other kind of area of of AI impact that's easy to understand, right, is uh, when when I go somewhere, uh, again, there will be a data pattern behind me that, that more or less predicts where will I be staying if I go to London or if I go to Frankfurt or if I go to Singapore or to KL? Um, that should not be a, a wild, crazy guess. If the data on my past behavior is showing that I always stay in the Shangri-La or uh, you know near the Patronas Towers, then then that's where I will be staying when I make my next trip there. Uh, don't bring a lot of other content in front of me if data shows I will not use it. Whereas other travelers might be incredible, variable, and flexible. And that's where AI becomes so important because now you can identify that, hey, here's an opportunity to influence this traveler, which actually means for the suppliers, this is a much more interesting traveler to sell to because there's a hope of converting them to something else. Whereas the ultra-loyal traveler, there's really no point in showing them anything anything else to them because they will not change. So speaking about content, um, social media. Social media is a huge influence on on people nowadays and and consumer behavior. So how do you see that uh, affecting people more and more, you know, as the years go by? Because, you know, what kinds of places do you see becoming popular because of social media and a lot of people looking for what they like to call like quote unquote authentic travel as opposed to more uh, touristy travel, you know? That's going to be so interesting to see how uh, leisure travel in particular picks up uh, here post-COVID. So right now, uh, you know, the countries and and I know Singapore is getting uh, closer to uh, and and Malaysia and Thailand hopefully will, will start being allowed to move around again. When you open up, uh, the first wave of travel will be so-called VFR travel, visit friends and relatives, right? So you're going to see people that you have not seen for a long time that you miss. Uh, the second wave will then be, okay, hey, now I need a holiday somewhere. And what is your behavior going to be? Are you going to go back to a place you know well that is very likely to give you a, a quality experience? Or are you going to go to a completely unknown, you know, place that you have you have no idea what to expect? So far, the data is indicating people are going to places they know. Uh, when we look at U.S. domestic, if we look at a kind of a European domestic, uh, people are going to places they know well. 
uh, on average. So that becomes interesting from the kind of, you know, the social uh, media influencing perspective where the influencers pre-COVID were literally getting paid by destinations to promote uh, a location or an experience, etc. Uh, that might not work for the first six, 12 months. Uh, but then we will probably get to a, a new wave of social media, which I think will be more driven by the regular traveler. So uh, the kind of the, the big volume influencers will be under pressure from, you know, a truly decentralized uh, traveler feedback environment. I, I know of a few platforms right now that are launching new services where you as an individual can get rewarded if you share a 30-second video about a place you are. And that will then allow other travelers to see your authentic video rather than, you know, a heavily edited uh, promotional style paid for advert by an influencer. Um, and, and therefore, people will start falling into two camps, the ones who follow the influencers and the ones who want to follow authentic travelers. Okay, okay. So I, I think, uh, you know, like a good way to sort of cap this interview or to wrap up would be to talk about your ideal travel scenario. I think um, I think you've used the word uh, travel utopia once. Um, what do you want the next 10 years to be like? Like what is the, the ideal scenario for the travel industry? Uh, the, ter- the term I use here is uh, travel-topia. And, uh, and it's kind of a, a presentation I've been given over the last four or five years, actually. And a few things kind of are, are common themes in, in my travel-topia vision, and, and they're still very valid. The first one is, for me, the traveler, I am expecting to finally get to a point where my profile is my private profile and not shared and owned and used by, you know, 10, 20, 50 different companies in the travel industry. Today, when I make a booking, I really don't know where my profile data goes. Uh, All I know, and this is because I work in the industry, is that my data is going to multiple systems for multiple reasons, which historically, that's how it's been. But in the future, I will not accept that. And I will immediately support any new solution that comes up with kind of a blockchain-based profile where I decide who can see my information and for how long. So example being, if I go to KL on a two-day trip, then I would allow local Malaysia-based companies in KL to see my profile for 48 hours while I'm there. The moment I'm leaving, my profile access will be shut down. They will have no information about me in their systems because all they had was a token that allowed the, them to see my data while I'm there. Uh, but it's my private data and I decide who can see them and who I give access to. The second one is that the technology solutions in the travel industry will start interconnecting much, much better. It, it simply makes no sense if you think about the number of times you have to re-enter your information. That should not be required in, in 2021. We know we can share data between systems very efficiently and safely, but the travel industry have kind of relied on legacy systems that are not designed for that. And again, I think the moment we see new solutions coming out that support intelligent sharing of data, um, travelers will gravitate to those. So other suppliers will be forced to follow. They cannot justify not doing it. And a great example is if you know in the airport, if you use a modern, you know, tokenized profile, you can get through the airport in two minutes guaranteed. If you use an old school kind of a legacy profile, it will take you between 15 to 30 minutes. What are you choosing? 
of course you are choosing the two minute options. Nobody would like to queue for 30 minutes if they can go through in two minutes. And then the final one is this, I call it, you know, the intelligent doing trip service. My trip will automatically be loaded up with information and services that are likely to be relevant for me. Why should I spend time searching for them and finding them and actually struggling to find them? Because if I search in Google or in TripAdvisor or, or anywhere else, I don't get an unbiased view. I get what they have received money to show. And therefore, for me, it's a struggle to find what I'm actually looking for. Uh, and that's where these new, I call it, you know, traveler-driven reviews or, you know, surveys and feedback will be so valuable because they will not be controlled by any company. And then uh, the final one, I, I do believe we will get a more sustainable travel industry. Uh, it will not happen in, in three to five years. Uh, we're further out. But by 2030, 31, I really hope we will see uh, electric planes on short haul, meaning, you know, two, 300 miles flights. So there's uh, close to zero pollution on those flights. And uh, we will see much higher use of sustainable aviation fuel, uh, assuming we can get production capacity increased. So I'm thinking of, you know, a greener, interconnected, intelligent, personal uh, travel experience. Uh, that, that's what I'm looking forward to. Follow Futurescapes on the BFM app, BFM website or Spotify so you don't miss out on future episodes. In the meantime, check out this clip from a segment called The Business, courtesy of ABC News Australia. They sourced this clip from the National Film and Sound Archives and it shows footage from more than half a century ago of the predictions that they made of the future. Keep in mind that this news clip in itself is from 2012, a whole decade ago. This has been Futurescapes on BFM 89.9. Sun, surf and sand. Ever imagined what it would be like to work for one day and play for six? Well, the golden age of computer automation is just around the corner. Scientific experts and business leaders are working hand in hand to give us more spare time and make machines do all the work. These machines are almost human. Just look at those nimble fingers. And now scientists have invented the electric brain, which they promise will bring a new way of life for all. Now machines can think there's no end to the things they'll do for us. And without pay too. There'll be no need for the worker in the factory of the future. A new age is coming, which brings with it the promise of a free and prosperous future. And after all, wasn't life meant to be easy? Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.